Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas. This is Veterinary Vitals, a podcast that focuses on current news in the Texas veterinary profession. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. Today on Veterinary Vitals, I speak with Dr. Richard Stone, Vice President of Medicine at Blue Pearl Pet Hospital, about practicing high-quality veterinary medicine. Dr. Stone received his DVM from Texas A&M University in 2004 and completed a veterinary internal medicine residency program at the University of Georgia in 2011. Dr. Stone ensures regional and local medical leaders across the country can deliver on the Blue Pearl promise of remarkable care. He is also the recipient of the 2023 TVMA Medical Specialty Practitioner of the Year Award. I'm Richard Stone. I'm an internal medicine specialist by training. I graduated from Texas A&M back in 2004 and um, I initially went into general practice, did general practice for a few years and went back and did an internship and residency in internal medicine and since then I've been working with um, Blue Pearl Pet Hospital and I've had the opportunity to wear a number of different hats as a, a practicing internist, as a medical director, and now I've taken on leadership roles at the regional and national level, so I've had the chance to see veterinary medicine from a bunch of different vantage points. That's really cool. Well, tell me about medical quality. What does that mean? That's a great question, and it's a timely question. So, you know, typically when we think about medical quality, like what, what does it mean to have high-quality medicine? A lot of us gravitate toward things like the newest technologies, the newest advancements in diagnostics, um, you know, of course we want the, the right diagnosis and we want um, optimal care, optimal treatment delivered for our patients, right? But I'll tell you, when we think about medical quality, really what we're digging into, what we're talking about is patient safety and the systems that support patient safety. Like, how do you get to a point where you practice the best quality medicine in a way that does no harm, gets you to the right diagnosis, supports a healthy team environment, and get your patients home healthy. Like that's, that's what we want, that's what we want. So ultimately, we find ourselves pivoting away from it. It's, it's not all about diagnostic technologies and, and the newest treatments. There's a lot to unpack when we think about patient safety. And so I bet we could dig into quite a bit there. Are there any metrics you look at? How do you evaluate medical quality exactly? Ooh, this is a good question. How do you evaluate medical quality? Well, I'll tell you. Um, this has been looked at extensively in human medicine and we probably need to rewind the clock a little bit to understand how we got here so it was i believe 1999 so we're looking at still under 25 years ago uh, a landmark publication was put out called to air is human and it was on the human medical side and this was the first time that it became sort of publicly declared that hey medical error is an issue in human medicine and um it seems to be related to systems and not just people. Okay, so there's, there, there, this is a thing that we need to deal with. We need to shed some light on. And with that sort of public awareness that, that medical errors happen, it became evident that somewhere between 90,000 people a year all the way up to more recent reports declaring more than 400,000 people a year die from medical errors in human hospitals. 
This doesn't mean that those hospitals aren't doing a good job. It just means there's an opportunity there to make the system stronger to support how care is delivered. Well, that's where we start digging into some of these metrics and we say, how do we make our hospitals a safer place to deliver the highest quality care possible? Well, we can dig into a couple of different surveys that are utilized, but ultimately what we look at is these, these survey domains. We, we ask the people that deliver the care. You can ask the clients as well. Certain things about um, hospital leadership, about the culture in the hospital, communication techniques in the hospital. Um, are you comfortable reporting an error if an error occurs? You know, these sorts of things. This is what we measure. And, and I understand that's a little bit different than measuring blood work and that sort of thing. But That seems much harder. It can be. It can be much harder. And, and you have to ultimately have a hospital team that's in a psychologically safe enough place to respond to these surveys in, in a way that um, gives you the information that you need. But that's probably where I would start with how do you measure medical quality? You got to go to the people and talk to them about these things. Wow, that sounds complex. And not to mention when you're talking about human error, humans you know, they have the potential to lie or maybe just be unaware of the reality of a situation. So I can imagine it's not easy to measure with complete accuracy. You're right. I mean, there's always the possibility of having bias when you're measuring anything. And in particular, when you're doing surveys, there can be a lot of bias um, toward one's own responses or how you feel about your team. So they, they in, on the human side, use different surveys that look at sort of measures of the culture of the hospital, and talk about hard to measure, that, that can be a bit of a challenge. Um, attitudes about safety, patient safety and medical quality, and then perceptions of safety and medical quality in your hospital. But the point is, you can take all of this survey information and boil it down and get an idea of what do the people that work in this hospital on the human side feel about the safety and the culture and the leadership and the medical quality in those four walls? How do they feel about that? And this can be really informative because this isn't just sort of measuring for the sake of measuring. It's measuring so that improvements can be made over time. Interesting. So what have you found from the surveys? Did anything surprise you? You know, I think one thing that, that surprised me is um, every hospital has an opportunity on the human side. I, I think, um, you know, one of the, 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 the most robustly involved um, programs that I've seen is through the Johns Hopkins Armstrong Institute for Patient Safety and Medical Quality. And they spearhead this. They spearhead this because they recognize that there's an opportunity in human hospitals. We think of Johns Hopkins and we think of, you know, the sort of pinnacle of quality and safety. But they started this because they recognized there was a need, right? In veterinary medicine, so let's just, let's just call it what it is, people are involved in veterinary medicine. So there's an opportunity for medical quality issues, patient safety issues to arise. It's been less studied. You know, there was a study done back several years ago that designed a survey to measure medical quality and patient safety on the veterinary side, and it was the Nottingham survey. Um, that Nottingham survey tests some of the same domains that I was talking about before, you know, like as far as perceptions in your, in your hospital. And, and, you know, what we're finding is there are similar patterns, there's similar opportunities. But overall, there was relatively positive perceptions of medical quality in many veterinary hospitals, but there were still a lot of opportunities. Some of those opportunities lie in the realm of teamwork, and communication. And those are apparently linchpins in how we move medical quality in any healthcare facility. Oh, and that's so upsetting to hear because those are a few of the most challenging things to tackle. You know, you're right. It's easy. It's easy to think like, 
wow, how am I going to change teamwork? Or how am I going to change communication in my hospital? But if we go back and look at, okay, if, I'm gonna, if I want to have the intent of improving medical quality in my veterinary practice, what do I look at? Well, let's just look at some big categories here. You know, teamwork and communication are definitely a part of it, right? Those kind of fold into the realm of culture. In, in my mind, culture. Culture is sort of what you cultivate in your hospital. Teamwork, communication is a big part of that. We also have the big category of leadership. So hospital leadership, even in the veterinary setting, has to buy in to any sort of improvements in medical quality that you, you, you want to bring forth. They're key. They're key. And when we look at that, we say we've got strong leadership, we've got a strong culture, then you have to have the right systems in place in your hospital to ensure that you're maintaining patient safety and medical quality. Now, when we look at things like teamwork and communication, there are actually tools out there that we're just now starting to apply in veterinary medicine that were developed by the Department of Defense, the United States Department of Defense, and uh, a healthcare institution on the human side called the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, or the AHRQ. Basically, military and medicine came together and said, hey, there's got to be a way we can cultivate better teamwork and better communication. And they've developed this Team Steps program that basically trains healthcare professionals how to work better in team environments. And it's been shown, it's been validated to be effective. So we're just now starting to apply these teamwork and communication tools in the veterinary healthcare setting in the last few years, so maybe we're 20 years behind um, human medicine on some of this, um, but I think it holds a lot of promise for how we can improve teamwork and communication in our hospitals. That's amazing and a very timely finding. What's a common stumbling block to high quality medicine for pr practitioners? I think one common stumbling block to high quality medicine is one, not measuring what's important. You know, if you don't assess if you don't survey your hospital to understand if you have a what we, we call a quality culture do i have a culture that supports medical quality there's probably a lot that you don't know you know you got you got to measure that first it's actually really hard in some scenarios to know whether you have an environment of psychological safety unless you're asking the right questions and when i say psychological safety i know it feels like we're going down a rabbit hole here but bear with me go on this journey with me um, Psychological safety means I feel comfortable speaking up when I feel like something's not right. So if I'm worried about this patient for any reason, do I feel like I can go to my supervisor, go to my clinician, my doctor, and say, hey, I think something's wrong with Fluffy? Or do I feel like I'm going to get my head bit off if I do that, right? Well, if people are in a state of fear, you're never going to hear from them. So in your mind, you might think everything is fine. Everything is fine. So we really have to assess that, 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 that quality culture, that psychological safety in our hospitals. And I think if we do that, we've gotten over one stumbling block, okay? The next stumbling block is cultivating that culture that you want in the hospital, and that's getting everybody on board. One big way that I've seen this tackled is implementing some of those tools that I was talking about that were, were um, developed by the military and human medicine. And many of these tools end up being communication tools and team communication tools. And they're simple things. So when I say them, you'll think, really, that's it? But no, I mean it, this is it. it it's things like having huddles each day. Um, you know, having a brief in the morning, let's say, to talk about the day. How's the day gonna go? Who has which patients? That sort of thing. Calling a huddle in the middle of the day if things are getting chaotic and, and, and saying, all right, team, let's bring it in. Let's talk about what's happening and who needs support. And then doing debriefs after an event, after a surgery, at the end of the day to say, 
what went well, what could we learn about from today, what could we do differently the next day? You know, these are very simple team communication interventions that can be done that make a world of difference. Now, there's a lot of other individual communication techniques that can be deployed as well. How we round patients to one another, for example, could be one. How we communicate important medical information to one another in a succinct way. There's lots of things that we've seen. If we start doing this, what it does is it puts everyone in a place to where they know the rules of engagement and they're comfortable speaking up, comfortable sharing the right information with one another, and patients benefit when we do that well. Okay. Have you seen any correlation between colleagues with close relationships and medical quality versus teams who may not communicate well or get along well? You know, it's a great question. So thinking back through, do we see that in, in scenarios where teams get along well, they, they like one another, let's say, um, do we get better medical quality? I think you innately get perhaps better collaboration. You might even get closer to this, this, this concept that we, we think about where we want everyone to have a shared mental model. Shared mental model just means, are we on the same page, team? You know, maybe it's easier to get there when everyone gets along, but I think even if you're all best friends, it still leaves a lot to be wanted when you think about everything that goes into medical quality and patient safety. And that kind of leads us into the path of systems. Like, okay, we've talked about teamwork. We've talked about leadership talked about communication, what sort of systems do we need to have in place to ensure we've got good medical quality? And that's probably where we go next with this conversation. Okay, so what kind of systems are available? Well, there, there's a few things. And, and when I say systems, I don't necessarily mean a particular software program or anything like that. Really what I'm getting at is one, having a way to measure, to document when an adverse event occurs, when an error occurs. And let's call it out, sometimes it's not an error, sometimes it's just an abnormal reaction to a medication or something like that. But do we document that? And what we refer to when we, when we call this system something, we call it patient safety event reporting. Patient safety event reporting. Do we have a patient safety event occur in our hospital? Yes, something happened, a patient's outcome wasn't what we expected, a mistake was made, something happened. Do we have a way to report that in a non-punitive way? Okay, so do we do that in a way that when you report it, you're not in trouble, you're helping us learn, right? And, you know, I'll tell you, in, in my hospitals, we have a system like that, and it is not used as a punishment. It's used as a learning tool. We, we, get, we get the reports, we assess those, and sometimes it's not a mistake at all. It's literally um, what we call a near miss, where someone said, you know what, I'm so engaged in this process, I thought about something. You know, if if this were to happen, this could have happened, and I think there's a risk there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in this report, and it helps us learn how, how, we could, how we could make it better. That brings up the next system, which is, okay, great. You've got a way to report these, these uh, events as they occur, and this could be even an anonymous sort of survey that's filled out in the hospital electronically. So now you gather these reports, you've gotta do something with them. And so having a patient safety champion or a patient safety committee, having a group of people in the hospital that will look at these reports and help develop plans for what we need to change to make the delivery of care safer in our hospitals, that's a critical tool. That's a critical component of how we deliver care, right? how, we, how we improve the level of medical quality that we have in our hospitals. So we have to capture the reports when they happen, get, get teammates involved, get, get every associate in your hospital willing to contribute and say, yes, I'll report something if I see something that I'm worried about, even if it was me that was involved, right? 
then taking action on those reports, right, by creating new ways of working, then you have to effectively communicate it to your team, to your hospital team. And that's an area where I think a lot of people stumble is you, you have to go back and say, hey team, guess what we learned? We learned that if you have two people double check your drug doses before you administer medications, you are far less likely to have a medication miscalculation. Your, your patient has more layers of Swiss cheese, so to speak, as they say. That's the, the analogy they use for patient safety. There's, there's fewer chances that you will go from one hole to the next hole, et cetera, and have an event occur, you know. And, and ultimately, care improves that way. And then the last tool that kind of already mentioned, and that's doing surveys with your teammates over time. These quality culture surveys to ask the question, hey team, now that we're doing these things, we're, we're measuring when errors occur, we're responding to them, we're developing new ways of working, new, new protocols in our hospitals, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about your teamwork, the communication, the safety of the care that we deliver in our hospitals? If we can measure that, then we understand that we're moving the needle on medical quality, patient safety, psychological safety in our hospitals, and ultimately that leads to uh, better outcomes for our patients. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you feel like you're getting to dabble in psychology or sociology a little bit on this? You know, it, it's interesting. There, there is a lot of, um, I guess anytime we have humans involved in the delivery of care where the stakes are high, there is the potential for there to be um, uh, distress when an error occurs. There's potential to be uh, fearful when an event occurs and not want to report it. Um, there's, there's a lot of people in both human and veterinary medicine um, that kind of tie their identity to what they do, rightly or wrongly they do. And when an event like this occurs, I think it can cause a fair amount of psychological distress and they need support when that sort of thing happens. So I think you're right. I think as we build these systems out, although all of them are geared toward improved patient outcomes, better patient safety, better medical quality. Really, we're trying to create better environments for our people as well, because what we don't want, whether it's human medicine or veterinary medicine, is we don't want to live, leave systems in place unaddressed that set people up to fail. And if that means that we don't have a system in place to double check drug doses adequately, we don't have a system in place to utilize things like checklists whenever we're doing surgeries, you know, that's been deployed on the human side for a while now and it's saved countless lives. Mm -hmm. If we don't have a system in place to capture errors when they occur, we're leaving systems in place that are setting people up to fail. Mm -hmm. So taking action, taking action is important in those situations. How do you keep up with so many clinics in this area? You know, I, I get to work with um, an amazing team of uh, professionals that are all super dedicated to uh, the people that they support. Uh, super dedicated to medical quality, super dedicated to patient safety, and um, so I'm definitely not doing it alone. I, I've got a, a great team that I can lean on um, and work with, and, and honestly, many of the things that I was just mentioning in the realm of patient safety that we're now deploying in the veterinary space, that happens as a team. You know, it requires teamwork, just like we talked about when you're thinking about how care is delivered in the hospital. The same is true when you're trying to scale it across hundreds and hundreds of hospitals. You need a team to help you do that. And uh, so I think I need to give most all the credit to them. Love that. And what about a smaller clinic? Maybe a solo practitioner that isn't able to dig in this deeply or, or maybe unable to survey their staff on a regular basis. What could they do to improve their medical quality? Oh, that's a great question. I start with people. I start with people. Every hospital, irrespective of their size, is comprised of people. And if we can focus there first, 
people first and say, team, what could we do to improve our own teamwork? The tools are readily available. They're publicly available. Anyone could go look up, for example, the, the one reference I mentioned before about the team steps tools. Those are readily available in app stores. You can find that online. There's great models that one could use for briefs and debriefs and huddles. And I would start there and just say, team, let's do this. After each surgery day or each, each busy day, let's do a debrief and just talk about it. What went well? What didn't go so well? What would you do differently tomorrow? Was everyone supported the way they needed to? Did anyone need help and ask for it? Did anyone not ask for it? Like, let's talk about these things. Ultimately, what you're doing by just that one little step in your hospital is you're setting up a culture of psychological safety. You're engaging your team in the process, right? And you're making yourself a little bit better each day. I would start there, start with people. Right, and what about those who maybe aren't as people-oriented? Maybe they're a little shy or it doesn't come naturally to have closer relationships with colleagues? Oh, this is, this is also a great topic. I'll tell you, there's a lot of folks that, in the absence of a, a construct, in the absence of some kind of structure, may struggle with communication, right? But a lot of the tools that we use now, both written and verbal tools, um, are really, really helpful. One example from some of the patient safety work that we've been doing is SBAR. And SBAR stands for Situation, Background, Assessment, and Recommendation. And that simply means you're going to tell someone about, in briefly one sentence, the situation like, hey, Fluffy's having some trouble breathing. The background is Fluffy came in for congestive heart failure yesterday, and she's been started on Lasix. My assessment is her lung sounds are harsh. I think she needs another dose of Lasix. That's my recommendation. That was very easy to do when you have that framework. If someone's a bit shy and maybe doesn't want to go to their colleague and mention this, um, they may struggle or fumble through it or miss some of the key parts. So I actually think some of the tools that we deploy in the patient safety realm, in particular the communication tools, are helpful for everyone because it gets everyone on the same playing field with respect to what we communicate and how we do that. That's a really good point and it's tough. Humans are at the center of a lot of what we do but they're also some of the most difficult things to work with sometimes. They have their own thoughts, histories, feelings, so communicating with people and getting used to that back and forth, establishing, like you said, a recurring meeting or a huddle could help a more shy person get familiar with that and start to open up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, you, you bring up a good point, too, that on our teams, any hospital team, any veterinary hospital, there's going to be quiet voices in there that have great ideas, and they probably just don't know how to bring it out. So I think. Um, being cognizant of that and creating that psychologically safe environment that encourages people to speak up is probably extra important for those individuals. But Patient Safety Week on the human healthcare side is March 12th through 18th. And um, this is a time where um, like, there's an extra focus on all of the efforts that go into um, patient safety and medical quality. And although this isn't something that's broadly celebrated on the veterinary side, I think it's something that we could embrace um, because I think we all want better outcomes for our patients. We want to all deliver the best care we can, and everyone in veterinary medicine comes into it with a great heart. You know, they, they come in because they want to help animals. I think something like this, bringing that into the veterinary space, um, is something that fits perfectly with our values and our culture. That was Dr. Richard Stone, Vice President of Medicine at Blue Pearl Pet Hospital. A few quick announcements. 
The CVA Level 1 workshop will take place at TVMA offices on April 23rd. Head to tvma.org to find the CVA page under the Education Opportunities tab or contact Larissa Respondek, Director of Credentialing at lrespondek at tvma.org. That's L-R-E-S-P-O-N-D-E-K at tvma.org. TVMA will be holding its biannual Veterinary Capital Visitation Day on April 12th and 13th. It's essential we have a strong showing from TVMA members to meet with as many legislators as possible and to brief them on the profession's key issues for the next session. You can find more information about joining us for the Advocacy Lab and Veterinary Capital Visitation Day on tvma.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a colleague and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A like, a share, a retweet, these are all great ways that you can support TVMA that won't cost you a dime. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. Thanks for listening.